ladies, it's Brittany Brazel. The Lord has given me a passion for motherhood and homemaking. From that passion, a ministry has birthed no higher calling. There is no higher calling on my life than to be wife to Simeon and mama to my littles. I still have so much to learn, but as I continue to grow, it is my desire to share the truths God is teaching me. Welcome back to this episode of the No Higher Calling Podcast. On today's episode, we are wrapping up our discussion on the Christian home. So my husband, Simeon, is here with me. Sim, thanks for coming back for part three. Sure, it's fun. (laughs) So uh, last episode, we started talking about key elements that we feel like from studying scripture, seeking wisdom from the Lord, things that he is showing us that are elements that we want in our home, things that we hope that when our kids leave our home, when they are adults and leave the nest that we have made for them, things that they will be equipped with, um, character traits, um, truths that will be rooted deep in their hearts that will really set them up to fulfill God's purpose for their lives and to glorify Christ. So we shared four in last week's episode. We talked about fearing God, being a disciple of Christ, having an evangelistic worldview, um, being a person of integrity. We're going to wrap it up with um, five more in today's episode. Um, So hang tight. We have some really good ones to go through. Um, Again, in no particular order, but um, just some really good content of how God is working in our home. Also, I'll share once more, this isn't a list that we feel like if this isn't your nine bullet point list that you don't have a Christian home. Absolutely not. Um, Every home's different. Um, We do feel like you should get your list from the scripture, and this is what God has illumined to us as we have have studied his word and sought him in prayer. I would encourage you again, um, wives, maybe listen to these episodes on the home with your husband. Um, Get get him involved as husband and wife team together. Seek God's will for your home, um, for your children, and how you're going to raise them. What is your... What is what is the purpose of your home? What are you what are you hoping to accomplish as you raise these kids for Christ? So I would challenge you with that. Your list doesn't have to end up the same as our list. But I would challenge you to have a list nonetheless. Um so we're just going to jump right in picking up with number 5 and that is a hard work ethic. In Proverbs chapter number six and uh, beginning of verse six, it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. I think one of the funnest things for me about having Eden as she's growing up, I, I say her specifically because she's older and she's in school and she's starting to learn some stuff, um, but she notices the little things in life um, that us, us adults don't tend to notice. Just today, she found an ant in our house. She's and, a lot closer to the ground than we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just today, she found a little ant in the house, and my first response was crush that ant as fast as we possibly can because it's going to get 
call other ants into the house if it finds anything and um but she just wanted to look at it you know um but going to the ant he says go to the ant thou sluggard and consider her ways and be wise and he makes a point to say that gathers the food in the harvest um that's a person who's got a solid work ethic a person who's willing to work when the work needs to be done so that they can rest when the rest can be done and um, that is something that really flies in the face of what people are being taught in our culture today. We want a handout. We want to get our COVID check. And we don't want to have to work. We want to find any excuse not to work. We want the easiest way possible. Right. And, you know, we've got PTO days. And we've got, you know, say you it's your job. You've got paid time off. you got 21 days of paid time off. You're going to use every ounce of those days. Not you know? that it's bad. Not that that's a bad thing. You, <laughs> you need to use your vacation time. It's what is our perspective. But know? my grandfather's generation... Um, I'll just use my grandfather as an example. He left home. He lived in a bad home situation. He was on his own, um, I believe from the time he was 14. And he he had to live his life by himself. He had to teach himself how to do some stuff. He bought a bunch of property for crazy cheap. It was a foreclosure junk land. Worked hard, bought a tractor, built it. Now it's got three lakes and it's probably worth well over a million dollars. I mean, it's nice stuff. But all of that happened... Because a kid who had very little education worked hard every day. And I don't think we ever went to his house in which we weren't put to work too. It was just part of who he was. But he had a work ethic. And a kid who's taught that, a child who's taught to have a proper work ethic, it may fly in the face of everything that this world believes. But that work ethic will nonetheless pay them dividends in the future. And hard is not bad. Um I had to learn this. We have one of our kids is very much like me and is currently kind of dealing with this. Certain things came very easy to me. Um, Certain things come easy to this child. So when things are hard, it's like, well, I just I don't even want to do it. Because we, we were just used to things coming easy. Um, but hard is not bad. God created us for work. And honestly, he created us for hard work. Having dominion over the earth, naming all the animals, tending to the garden. That was difficult work. Work. Hard work was not a result of the curse. Now, there were elements that came from the curse that made that the work harder. Um but God created us for work. Our bodies were designed for work. Um, shout out to my dad. I'm sure you're listening because you're ever faithful to do so. Some of what I'm going to share in this point came straight from you. My dad was in the Navy and the Navy taught him you work hard. Um, and, and, you know, when I was a kid, part of this, I, I almost resented, I guess, Um, just the high standard of work ethic. But now that I'm an adult, I am so thankful that that was instilled in me. Um, Family is a team. We all work together for the good of the home. I don't know what your views on allowance are. I never received allowance growing up. Um, I don't think you did. So, I mean, not, not like a regular no, allowance. We got to work extra for cash. If we wanted cash, we could do extra stuff, but not part of our regular routine. Yeah. Grow, the way we were raised and the way we've talked about raising our kids, hey, normal household chores, 
you don't you don't get a reward for doing those. Mommy doesn't get a reward every time I scrub the toilet and do the laundry. No, it's because we are a team, because we are a family, we all work together and we all carry our weight. And we do it with a happy heart. We work hard. Um my dad taught me if you see the need, take the lead. This takes it beyond just working hard to being observant. You know, I'm not going to trip over the same pair of shoes 20 times. No, I'm going to pick them up and put them away. Just having that good work ethic. I can't really think of a better example in scripture for us as women of a hard work ethic than the Proverbs 31 woman. If you're like me, you've read this chapter and thought, where did she find all the time to accomplish everything she did? I mean, she was constantly working. Um, Just... Even just some verses here, uh, 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She was prepared. When the snow came, her household wasn't afraid of it because she had been preparing. She had been like the ant, working ahead, preparing for her household, having this hard work ethic. And there's verse after verse about how she worked hard for her family. Um, and, And that's great. We want our kids to grow up with that hard work ethic. I think it's a great testimony for Christ, especially as culture is just so opposite. I'm I'm just going to say it. I feel like the majority work ethic mindset is just laziness. What path can I take that offers the least resistance, but that yields the greatest reward? And I don't think that's the right, that's not the right perspective. I, you know, and there again, if we want our kids to have a hard work ethic, it needs to be something that we're modeling for them. Um, But they need to not be afraid of hard work. Get your boys outside mowing and, you know, shoveling snow Get your girls helping around the house. Get your boys helping around the house. Get your girls out in the yard. Don't make them, you know, don't let them be cushy. And, you know, they it, we're part of a family. We all work together and do our part. Some of the fruit we talked about in the last episode, we are really trying to get down to the roots that produce trees that bear much fruit. Um, so the root might be a hard work ethic. The fruit of that is, um, you know, stewardship, being a wise steward. The idea of stewardship is an extremely broad one. Um, but if you have a hard work ethic, what does that mean? It means that you understand that this is your responsibility, that you have a stewardship of something. If you have a job, There might be 10 of you that have the exact same job. You're going to work the hardest of them all. Why? Because God gave you that job. Because it was, he has entrusted you to be a good steward of that job. You have a hard work ethic for that reason. Stewardship is a part of that hard work ethic. Um, that, you know, there's also with that comes an intention to detail. Um, I am not the best at this one. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a detail oriented person. I'm just not. The shoes um, I trip over might have been his. Yeah, I love no, seriously. You. <laughs> so, but the attention to detail is, is not something that comes naturally for me, but it does have to do with being a good worker, um, making sure that your area stays clean, making sure, you know, when I, when I was, um, 
I, before we started traveling, I was working a full time job and and at times too. Um, but I was working this full time job, and part of my job, um, which was in sales, was to make sure that my area was clean. Why? Because the next customer came in and didn't want to have to wait around on my mess. You know, so there was there was the details there that had to be attended to, and it, it creates an idea of perseverance as well. Hard work is tough. Perseverance requires perspiration as is what someone said once so um that they'll be able to work through anything you know and and work it out and you can't necessarily work through anything because you need christ to do everything but if you have been taught how to have a good work ethic then a lot of the other problems that could come in life um that are a result of laziness you don't have to deal with now and swinging back around to um, the stewardship, you know, Simeon kind of touched on it in different words, but we do believe that we are all created for a purpose. We try to verbally use that when we talk to our kids that they are created for a purpose, but that's not you have a purpose when you're an adult and you leave our home and you find your career and your spouse. That's part of God's purpose, but they have a purpose today. What is your purpose today? It could be things as simple as obeying mommy and daddy, taking out the trash, you know, mopping the floor. But when we see, when we see every day as in, hey, no matter how menial the task, no matter how much sweat and toil is required to accomplish my purpose, this is my purpose that God has given me. And there is some way that he can receive glory through what it is that I'm doing. And and so just swinging back to, around to that stewardship idea that we are stewards of, of ourselves, of our time, of the purpose that God has created us for, and really just working hard because it, God has given us this purpose. The next point, number six, would be to be hospitable. Um, in 1 Peter 4, verse 8 and 9, it says, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality to one another without grudging. Um, I, I love being hospitable. We on a regular basis, have people in our home, and and we love it that way. Um, we love to host people and to feed them and to, you know, take care of them as we can, to be a blessing. Um, you know, I struggled for a while as a young mom, just in my stage of life, having kids. If, if I go out and do certain ministries, I'd need a babysitter or it required a lot of daddy's involvement or, you know, I, I couldn't be involved in certain things because I had the kids with me and they were loud. And it took me a little while to try to find um, a niche that I could serve in. And I think in my mind, I had thought like, OK, well, this type of ministry is a higher level of service than maybe more menial um, task, but but that's not true. God has a part for all of it, and that's where really God started working in my heart with this whole hospitality thing. Is okay, um, you know, maybe maybe I can't go and and speak at a ladies' meeting. Maybe I have the kids uh, in tow, but. 
if there's our church has senior friends meetings for the elderly um, once a month and they like to have homemade desserts done for that and that's something I can do and not only can I whip up a cake or whatever it is I can involve my kids in that Mm -hmm. and all together we can serve and we can be hospitable and even today um in Eden's homeschool lesson, we've been studying through Psalms and we're studying a Psalm about how David worshiped God. And so we were kind of analyzing what are different ways that we can worship God with different parts of our body. And, you know, the mouth was easy that many things came to mind. Um, but as we started getting to like, okay, how are hands? How can our hands worship? And I was sharing with her, our hands can worship God as they minister, as they serve, as they bake a cake, as they clean the nerve as they make dinner for someone who has lost a loved one or who is sick. Those are ways that our hands can worship Christ and can serve. And uh, some of the fruit of being hospitable, of thinking of others, is kindness, generosity, compassion. All of those things stem out of having a hospitable heart. And I, I think this is just a really unique one that we can use to show Christ to a lost world. Um as we open our homes, open our hearts, not to be showy, not to entertain, um, you know, not to say, you know, come and look at my house and taste my food and watch how good my children behave because I check none of the above. Um, just letting people in and it's, you know, obviously we need to be hospitable to everyone, but specifically speaking about the lost, letting them see a glimpse of a Christian home. Again, not a perfect Christian home, but a Christian home that is ever striving to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. I think that is a beautiful testimony of the gospel and of the fact that there is a difference between those who are disciples of Christ and those who don't know him. So uh, hospitality, we really, um, that that is important to us in our home. Uh, Number six is to raise critical thinkers. So if you go to Romans chapter one, uh, in Romans chapter one, the Apostle Paul is talking quite a bit about uh, the world and what the world, how the world is and comparing it then with Christ. And he talks a lot about the things that condemn the world. But if you look in Romans 1 beginning, and we're just going to read one verse in, in verse number 22, it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I don't know of any verse that describes the modern world right oh now goodness, yeah. any better <laughs> and, and any more concisely. Our world believes itself to be so smart and so wise and it looks ridiculous. It looks ridiculous. And if you're looking at the world from a biblical worldview and you understand the way God created things, the way God intended things to be, and you look at our world, our world looks silly. It looks foolish um, because we're looking at how God's looking at it. Um, well, and we're but, leaning on man's insight instead of leaning on God's. The best that man can conjure is filthy rags. That's what the scripture teaches, right? So if the best that man can conjure is filthy rags, then they look really foolish in the eyes of God. And we look foolish when we try to act in our own wisdom. And if you're going to teach your children to be critical thinkers, the first thing that you want to really take a deep dive on and consider is, 
the pursuit of wisdom. No better place to do that than to open the book of Proverbs and start reading. Um, my dad, uh, this is kind of a side note, but my dad said anytime that he had to make a major decision, he just read through Proverbs. He would read through the entire book. Um, I remember that happening, you know, when he would be between jobs or different things going on. Um, I remember seeing him sitting and reading through Proverbs, um, just because he needed that wisdom. But we got to teach them, obviously, to seek for, for godly wisdom. But we live in a world right now that does not want critical thinkers. It, it just doesn't. The world right now wants you to swallow the pill and do exactly what they say. And you can evidence that by looking at cancel culture. Um, I know this is a thing. If you've been paying attention to the world um, in the news in any way, shape, or form, especially conservative media, uh, they talk a lot about cancel culture. What that is, is a person who stands up against the crowd and the crowd essentially cancels them. The, the, the mob says, you can no longer have a part in society because you hold views that we don't accept. There's no such thing as healthy debate. If you watched the last presidential election and the debates that took place, they were laughable. <laughs> they weren't debates. At all. There were two people talking over each other constantly. No ideas were tossed around or debated or talked about. We don't debate anymore. We just argue. And that is because we have a world that does not contain critical thinkers. We ought to be able to hold more than one idea in our head at one time. So how do you train a critical thinker? How do you teach a child to think critically? I think the best way to do that um, is really the next topic that we're going to talk about here in a minute is to, to teach them to have a love of learning. But critical thinking begins by teaching your child to listen. Simply listen. Um, when I was in grade school, I had a teacher who said this a hundred times and I hated it every time she said it, but it was true. You have two ears and one mouth. I, I heard her say that a million times and she would say that's because you're supposed to listen more than you're supposed to talk. And if you can teach a child to listen to what other people have to say, even when they absolutely know it's wrong, but hearing someone say it, listening, you're teaching them to critically think. Why? Because now they have to defend their own position. Now they have to think, well, why do I believe what I believe? Or why do I think what I think about anything? And if you can teach them to do that, well, then you're getting somewhere. And not that I want to have a home filled with endless debates, especially as our kids get older, even into the teenage years. But I do think it's so healthy as a family um, to to converse, to talk, to bounce ideas. And um, we've talked before about, um, you know, talking with your kids. I, I heard from other older mentors asking three questions deep, really probing down beyond just surface yes, no answers. Um, but, but to get down, how, how are you feeling? Well, how did, you know, how did you feel in that situation? Um, think about, you know, just get, get down and see what are your thoughts? Do you even have any thoughts on this? Okay. And uh, so much of that comes about through family conversation. Um, I think one of the things that is just so sad um, that really I feel like COVID almost gifted back to so many families was the dinner table. Mm -hmm. I think the dinner table is such a wonderful opportunity to gather as a family, to put things aside. And we, we are working on this, but even just trying to, hey, 
there's no technology at, at the dinner table. It's a time for us to come together as a family and not just shove our faces and then run off to the next event, but to really share in each other's hearts and to get down into each other's thoughts. What are you thinking? And then, you know, to talk about different topics where, you know, you share your thoughts, I share my thoughts, and, and some of that healthy debate does come into play. But I think it is so important to have kids that are critical thinkers because the world and Satan is doing the exact opposite in our younger generation today. The public school is basically just trying to shove their truth down your kids' throats. They don't want them to think. They want them to accept their truth, no questions asked. This is what we say. This is how it goes. Follow. I think that, and, that goes as, even as far as the way that they do testing. Um you're supposed to regurgitate information. That's all that you're supposed to do. I flew through school. School was like easy as pie for me. And it wasn't because I was brilliant. It was because I could remember something for more than 15 minutes. Because right before the test, I would read the chapter, cram it all down, and throw it all on a piece of paper and just regurgitate the information everywhere. But it even comes down to the way that they, they test for information in school. They don't require you to actually think about things. They want you to just repeat what they told you. And that same idea has has fused itself into society by and large. And it is simply just, we said this, you swallow it and take it, or we're going to cancel you. And so people who actually are critical thinkers are making leaps and bounds now, especially conservative people, because, you know, th think about alternative media right now. Uh, at the time that we are recording this particular podcast, it is almost impossible to find media that is not slanted. But there are now alternative media groups popping up. And all of those, for the most part, are led by people who are very critical thinkers. They're willing to think outside the box, and they're becoming successful because of that. And I think one thing in thinking about being a critical thinker, you you almost have this analytical mind that is really weighing thoughts, sifting through them, hopefully through the filter of God's word. Um, we still have little kids, so we haven't quite hit the stage. Um, I've been gleaning from some other mentors that have older kids. I do have siblings that are, one is 10 years younger and one is 15 years younger. So I've been able to have kind of an insider glimpse into some of the teenage years. Um, but in having kids that are critical thinkers, um, I've just been hearing recently, don't be afraid if they doubt, if they come to you with questions that are uncomfortable, you know, especially when it comes to the Bible and the truth, we kind of want our kids to just take it at face value, to never question, to believe, to never doubt their salvation, to just be sure and resting on God and his promises. Um, that wasn't my salvation testimony. I did struggle with doubts and I felt guilty for that for so long. Um, but part of being a critical thinker I think sometimes the doubts do come into play, and I just want to challenge parents, if, if you're in that stage or if you have your kids that are doubting or are questioning, don't shut them down. Don't, don't get afraid that they're going to choose something else because they're doubting. No, even more, because they have those questions, you need to bring them in and answer them from Scripture. You need to... Uh, 
encourage them to speak and share their thoughts, even if their thoughts are going down a wrong path. Listen to them. Listen to their hearts. And then together go to God's word and and show what his truth says. Um, I just, I've heard that several times recently, and I just thought that was so good, um, just to not shut them down if they doubt. It's all part of the process of being a critical thinker. Would you rather have a mechanic who knew how to fix your problem, or a mechanic who understands deeply how an engine works? If you have a mechanic who knows how to fix your problem, he might be able to fix your problem, but if any other problem occurs, he's not going to know how to fix it. If you have a mechanic who understands how the engine works, he can fix any problem within that engine. And that that's the difference between a critical thinker and a non-critical thinker. If you have a kid who's following what you tell him to do because you told him it's from the scripture, what happens when his influences change? Yeah, and at some point our kids will ask the questions let you be the one that answers them when they come to or you. Teach be, them how to find the answer. Yeah, be sensitive to that. Don't shut them down because of convenience or because, oh, that's a hard question or oh, that's awkward to talk about or whatever it is. Because if you shut them down, they will ask someone else, and it might not be the person that is going to direct them to the Bible. So, man, some really good stuff. But it is important, if ever. Now we have got to raise critical thinkers. And uh, Sim mentioned it. The next one is a love for learning. I, I'm super passionate about schooling. I, I've always been very academic. I don't have a sporty bone in my body. Um, but I love school. And I am absolutely loving homeschooling Eden. We did uh, K-4 last year. So we're following the Australian school year a little bit different. We actually start school in January. So we are uh, just a couple months into her kindergarten year. And we are having the time of our lives. And it's too much content to share in this episode. All that God is doing in my heart as I really just seek him on what are his goals for education? What does that look like? Um, our current educational system, uh, kind of a hobby of mine, is just really setting out different curriculums, um, looking at education and saying, okay, well, we've been doing it this way for this long, and it is turning out this result, which is not a favorable result. What can we do differently? And I do, I see so many kids that, oh, I hate school or I can't wait till I graduate. Uh, And I know some of my kids aren't always going to wake up every morning like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to go do my lessons. But I just, there's a, I hope that we can keep in them a love for learning. And I've shared different examples on previous podcast episodes about what that looks like in our life now. You know, we are in the preschool years, so a lot of our love for learning happens, yeah, when we're down on the floor looking at an ant or whatever. But just having a love for learning opens one's mind and heart to so many aspects of who God is. We see God as the creator, as the sustainer, as um, just the all-wise and all-knowing, and just seeing how beautifully he has created everything around us to so intricately work together. I think of that verse in Psalms, uh, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Um, 
as we learn, as we come to discover more and more about the world that God has made, um, our, our bodies, so many aspects, the more I am just really in awe of God and these aspects of who he is. God made the human mind to operate in quite a strange way. Um, it's one of those things that um, the scripture talks about something being sharpened by reason of use, right? And so the mind is that way. You can look at the proverb where it talks about the wind, you know, the windows are closing and, and he's talking about all the functions of the body that are starting to fall apart as you get old. But as you get older, you start to develop problems with your mind if your mind ceases to be active. Um, and so developing a love for learning in a child is something that if you can do it in the early ages, and I don't feel like this was done um, for me necessarily that well. Um, I did not have a love for learning. I was that kid that hated school. I didn't want to be there. And, you know, learning goes beyond the classroom, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. This so. love for learning isn't that, oh, they love school. That's not what we're getting at. Yeah. And I just was that kid that didn't want to do that. I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be fighting my brother with sticks and and that kind of stuff. And that's, that's fine. And that's good, too. But a love for learning that's developed early will transmit itself for the rest of that person's life. And for the rest of that person's life, they're going to continue to learn and to learn and to learn. And uh, as they get old, you know, that'll help them uh, as well. That's not necessarily the goal. But the point is this. When you're learning, you're also learning something about God. In everything that you learn, you learn something about God. You want to study science? Great. You're studying the world that God created. You want to study history? Great. You're you're studying all of the things that God did all throughout history in order to get the gospel to different places. You want to, you know, you want to study microbiology or whatever it is that you want to study. It all comes from God. He's the one that developed it. You want to study mathematics? You know, some of the most amazing things that you can find out about the universe, you can discover through mathematics. Who designed God? Who designed the world so perfectly that if even if the earth was even just a few feet closer or further from the sun, life could not exist. And the, the mathematical mind of God, all of this stuff that we have learned and understand brings us, all brings us right back to a better understanding of who God is and his awesome power. And really, it's just awakening a wonder in our kids for for God and who he is and all that he has made. And like Simeon said, in every aspect of creation, we see God reflected. And and that's what we're trying to accomplish here. Like I said, not not a love for school, but a love for learning. You know, even even today in another of Eden's lessons, we're talking about the pond right now. And we learned about the water flea. Uh, you know, as minuscule and unimportant as that may seem. I mean, seriously, how many of us go throughout our days thinking about water fleas? But it has a very specific purpose. If there were no water fleas, the protozoa and bacteria and algae would get out of balance. They get out of control because the water flea eats that. And then if there was no water flea also on the opposite end of the spectrum, frogs and insects and other things eat the water flea. So it's just something as simple and almost seemingly silly as a water flea just brought me again to the amazing realization that God is all-knowing and all-wise and an amazing creator to even down to the details of a water flea have a purpose in all that he made. And, and that's just one aspect. 
But I feel like if our kids can have a love for learning, if we can open their eyes to the world around them. And God really did that for me last year, last spring. I would take a prayer walk almost every day. And I remember coming home one day and telling Simeon, like, I feel like I have been seeing in black and white forever. And all of a sudden I see in color and like the honeysuckles never smelled so good. The bird's song was never as sweet. The colors were never as vibrant. And and I know that may sound so silly, um, but that's what we want to do for our kids. Just incorporating this, not the learning as in book work and, you know, all that, but really just having a desire to know God through the creation that he has put. And one thing that I just think is so unique about that. If we can open our kids' eyes to see God in everything around them, Samuel and I have talked about before, about putting things into our kids' hearts that when they are out of our home, that they cannot get away from. And, you know, we pray that our kids will follow Christ, that they will love Him and serve Him and yield their lives to Him. But we, we don't know the future. That might not be the case. And if we do have a child that does stray and does go away from the Lord, we, we're trying to put things into their heart that they can't get away from. You know, there's things that we, that we say that we've made a part of our home culture that we say over and over that we hope that one day will ring in their ears and in their hearts, even if it might not be our voice or even in creation, making them so aware of God, whether it's in the water flea or the butterfly or the trees or the birds. You know, I hope that one day, whether they are walking with the Lord or not, that when they hear the bird's song, that they remember that take no thought of the morrow, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, but remember the birds, that God takes care of them and he'll take care of you. Um, I think the primary verse of what you're talking about is is the verse in Proverbs where it says, uh, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Too many people have mistranslated what that means. The verse does not mean that if you train the child in the way that he should go, that he will live all the days of his life for the Lord. That's not what the verse means. What it means is that he'll never be able to get away from what you taught him. Yeah. So when he is old, he may not be living for Christ. He may be as far from Christ as he possibly can, but he can never escape what he was taught. And the Bible says in another place that God's word will not return void. You may have preached a thousand sermons as the pastor of a church, or you may be a mom or a dad, and you're training your own children, and you're teaching them the word of God. But when they are old, they won't be able to get away from God's word because his word does not return void. So we're going to wrap it up with the last point. Um... I would not be Brittany if I didn't throw this in here. Um, but and, and it kind of ties in with a love for learning, but really a passion for books. And books are just such an important element in our home. Obviously, the most important book would be the Bible. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Um, the hinge pin, obviously, here uh, between the book of the law and good success is observing to do, right? Um, because you don't just have good success for nothing, just for reading it. Um, it comes from observing to do. We're talking about the scripture. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. What does that mean? Is it saying that you're not supposed to 
Is he saying that you're not supposed to tell people what God's word says? No, obviously not. That idea there is that you're mumbling to yourself. Meditation. You're thinking about, you're chewing on what God's word says. If you can teach your kids to love the Bible, obviously, first and foremost, that's the best thing you can teach them. Yeah, so we we do. We need to have a love for that. And again, that's modeled. They're not going to love the Bible if mom and dad don't love the Bible. Um, but, But beyond that, there are so many truths and just richness that is found in books, in reading, in gleaning wisdom from other people who have gone before or who have insight to share. Um, just just falling in love with books. There, there's such a, a richness and depth that that adds to a person's life. And, and that starts when they're little. You have to encourage them to like books when they're little so that when they're middle schoolers and and high schoolers, they'll still love books so that when they're adults, they'll love books. Um, I, I, I could just, I could share so much on this, but for time's sake, we're going to wrap it up. More, more book stuff coming in the future. I've, I've shared a couple different episodes that you can hear more on my passion for books. Um, but just so many studies, so much research to show the importance that books play in the lives of kids. If you want to know, just real quickly, if you want a, a testimony to that, read the story of the life of Ben Carson. And I'll just leave it at that. Yes, yes. Look up that story. It's a great one. Perfect to prove that point. All right, well, we're going to wrap this up. Simeon did share this verse, but again, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. We are not naive enough to know or to think that if we achieve all of these goals, all of these elements in our home, that it is going to turn out perfect little Christian kids. Um, But we do believe that as we are following Christ, that these are things that he is putting into our hearts to put into our home, to put into our children, so that as they grow, whatever they decide, whatever they choose for themselves, that these will be things that they cannot get away from truths that mom and dad from scripture have planted into their hearts. So I hope this episode, really these past several episodes, as we have just really done a deep dive into the Christian home, into elements um, of the Christian home and raising kids to love the Lord, um, to turn them out of our homes, to be just really strong Christians and strong disciples of Christ. Um, I, I just I hope this has encouraged you and been a blessing to you and has challenged you to think. If you don't have a list, I do challenge you. Get with your husband um, and work on it. If you're not married yet, even if you don't have kids yet, it's still something great to think through. And, you, you know, like we've said before, all this stuff has to be modeled. Um, if Simeon and I aren't living these things out in our life, it will not affect our kids. So, um, you know, even if you don't have kids yet, start working on these different things in your life. All of us need to fear God, be a true disciple, have integrity, have a hard work ethic, just um, to name a few that we mentioned. But um, I just leave you with that challenge. And let me close this episode in prayer, and then I will join you all next week. Father, I thank you so much that your word is, 
never returns void, that as we come to you seeking wisdom, that you just illumine the truths in your word and speak to our heart and give us that wisdom that we long for, Lord. I pray that you will uh, just be with each one of us as we seek to raise kids to love you and to serve you. Lord, I pray that you will be with our children's hearts, that you will just keep them close to you, that they will come to know you as our Savior, and that just these different elements that we've mentioned, that they will just be rooted deep in their hearts and the fruit that those produce will be a light to a lost and dying world, Lord, as it just is even more and more becoming against mainstream culture, um, that it will just be beautiful and just something different as people see a difference in the lives of us and in our kids. Lord, I pray it will help our homes to be strong. I pray that they will glorify you in every aspect. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If this episode has been a blessing and encouragement to you, I'd ask you to like, share, and subscribe to my podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at nohighercalling underscore, and you can read my blog at nohighercalling.org. I hope that this episode has brought much glory to Christ, encouraged your heart, and strengthened you to be the wife and mother that God has created you to be. Thanks for listening.